0: What's going on, Zoe Church? How are you guys doing today? Woo! There we go. One person's in the house. Woo! Fam, I hope you are doing well wherever you happen to be joining us from. Sorry, got a little tongue twisted there. Wherever you happen to be joining us from, so glad that you are here today. However, you happen to scroll on by and find... Our church's live stream, I hope and I pray that that worship truly blessed you. My name is Ruben. I'm the pastor here at Zoe Church, and I'm glad that you came along and you joined us today and you've trekked along with us singing worship songs to Jesus. You know, there's a reason why we do that. It's not just because uh, we have nothing better to do, I promise you. We love just singing from our hearts to the God whom we just absolutely adore, whom we find joy in, whom we find that in his presence... Whatever may be happening in the world, we find hope, we find life, we find love in his presence, which is why we sing those songs, which is why we even take time corporately as a church to pray together, which is also why we pause. Every week we take time, we kind of create this healthy rhythm to sit and to listen from God's word, to focus and to fix our eyes back onto Jesus each and every single week corporately, that it may it like, uh, 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 lead us and, and, and kind of... Um, almost like burned within a passion within us to to want to study his word and know him better and to speak to him and spend time in his presence throughout the week. And so we're gonna spend some time right now just praying together before we jump into today's message. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity and the time that we have together. Father, my prayer today is that with a specific topic that I have in mind with the message that you put on my heart, Jesus, that you would do a deep work of healing today. Jesus, that you would grab a hold of our attention today. For many, maybe even just one person who might be listening to this later or who's live streaming right now, Lord Jesus, they've put you on the back burner. They have gotten to the place of life where distractions have overtaken their life. And now they feel this weight on the inside, unable to explain it, unable to understand it. Father, I pray that today you would grab their attention. Holy Spirit, without your work, all that I say and speak is all in vain. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would not only use me, but that you would speak to every single soul listening, attentive, ready to hear. And that their listening ears would be like seeds falling on good soil that would grow and produce a hundredfold blessings over blessings. Holy Spirit, now speak, I pray in your name, Jesus, amen. We have been in this conversation uh, from this ancient proverb that we basically went to, found in the scriptures, also known as the Bible, by the way, which says this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And what we've been doing throughout this entire series is journeying, trying to find out how to lead our hearts to the place of tranquility, how to find inner peace that comes from Jesus. And so we've been discovering that and looking at what all of those things look like. And today we are at the last part of tranquility of the soul. And for the last part, what I wanted to do was I wanted to talk about a topic that a lot of us are in a very weak place. A lot of us, when it comes to this specific topic, are very uh, fragile, would be a word that I think I could use. Today, what I wanna do is I wanna talk about depression and anxiety. See, I don't know about you, but in the last decade or more, the awareness of depression and anxiety has been growing really fast. And that's been really good to be able to recognize, the, uh, people being able to recognize the struggle that they have with this mental illness and this mental, mental, mental disorder. And so it's a good thing. It's a good thing that awareness has been growing and we've been able to identify it better. But it's not just that. It's also done this other thing. It's also been a very revealing thing, hasn't it? It's good, it's good that we've been able to understand and identify who has anxiety and who has depression so that they know what they need to be doing to help, help that. But it's also been revealing in a sense that it reveals the state of our hearts as a nation. It, reveal, it reveals the state of our hearts as a, as, as a people, as mankind. You know, I know for some of you depression has been heavier than anxiety in your life. I know for some of you, anxiety has been heavier than depression in your life. And for some of you, it's a mix. It's kind of like depression and anxiety. Uh, They go hand in hand for you. In fact, one probably fuels the other and it becomes way worse. For some of you, you're depressed about your future. You're depressed about the loss of a family member. Because every time uh, you consider what you're supposed to do for your family and care for your family, just it gets you so much more depressed because you're like, why is their health never getting better? Because those people are so valuable to you, and it just leads to almost like this defeated place in your heart. Some of you are depressed socially, where it's like you're just so frustrated with not being able to see people in this season of COVID that you've almost, it's almost led you to a sort of depression because you're like, I, I can't see people and, and, and that is a huge struggle for me personally. Some of you are depressed because you've been feeling like, you know what, I'm never gonna find that special someone. The search of looking for one person and looking for that person that you're gonna marry one day has gotten you to a place where you're almost depressed. Some of you might even be like, you know what, I'm past that age. I'm past the age, I'm past the number, whatever society tells me, whatever that number is, I'm past that, and now I'm at a place where I'm like, I don't actually believe I will ever find someone to live with, someone to call my own, someone to marry, someone to call my spouse, and I'm never gonna find that. Some of you have been depressed because dating this season has sucked, right? Like I was talking to a few people this past week and I can't even imagine trying to online date right now. In this season, it's like you're trying to like, you follow COVID guidelines, but how do you do that with dating? You're not supposed to see the person. Like, I don't really know how that works. And I can't even imagine how hard that actually must be. For others, it's, it's anxiety that kind of is the, uh, the pressing one. It's the heavier, um, it's the heavier Feeling that takes over, right? I mean, you've been working on your anxiety, you've been working on getting better, you've been creating healthy rhythms for your life, learning how to, you know, have better, healthier, you know, routines and manage it better, but the season that we are in has worsened it for the last year and a bit, it has absolutely been chaos. In fact, maybe you entered the season of isolation, not even realizing that you have some, you know, anxious tendencies. But as you've been in the season, you start to realize, wow, I'm actually, I have some anxiety. I have some underlying anxiety, anxiousness that I'm not able to fully understand and grasp. And you didn't even know it was there, but it started to come out a little bit. Or maybe you were put into this, you know, awkward or hard situation. You had to have a hard conversation with someone. All of a sudden, you start to realize that you're, you know, your gut's getting really tight You know, your palms are getting sweaty. You're starting to feel like you're a little bit nauseous. Your knees are buckling, your head's spinning, and you're like, why am I feeling this way? And then you start to notice that it's a pattern in your life, and you're like, I've never noticed this, but this is something I'm starting to recognize, that anxiety might be this thing in my life that's been a weight. You know, what I want to tell you from the get-go, wherever you happen to be, whether you're like, you know what, I don't really suffer or struggle with depression or anxiety. Uh, at least you do know someone who does, and so it's important that you tune in because you need to know how to support and help and love that person. And you need to know how to be that backbone and be able to like, you know, lift that person up and encourage them. So it's not like just because you might not struggle with it, the sermon's not for you. But for those of you who do carry this weight, which I actually think is the majority of people, what I wanna actually tell you is this, that depression and anxiety are not God's desire for you. Depression and anxiety are not God's plan for you. It's not his purpose for you. It's not the avenue through which God is like, this is how I want to work on them. He can use it if he needs to. But let me say this, it's not his desire for you. And so what you're going through is unnatural. It's uncalled for. It's because we lived in this condemned, sin-filled world because we ourselves are sinners, and because of all of that brokenness, we find ourselves mentally, emotionally broken as well. But it's not God's plan. In fact, God's plan is very, very different. And I could, you know, spend so many sermons. This could be a whole topic alone on its own, but today I'm gonna have one sermon, a few minutes to talk about it. So know this, and this is my kind of like my, you know, bumper or kind of like the, the little, you know, subtitle so that you understand what the sermon's about. This is not a depression and anxiety 101 or and all be all. I'm not going to exhaust this topic. You're not going to walk away being like, that's it. I'm able to walk away from my depression and anxiety. It's not going to be that because it is a journey from every person that I've worked with who've suffered, suffered with depression and anxiety from every conversation that I have had. It's not a one-time-fix type of thing. It is a journey. It is a moving daily, each day, closer and closer to the person of Jesus. It is a slow transformation that happens over time. And so, what today I want, what today's sermon and my goal and my purpose for today, what I want today to be is simply a foundation. What I want simply today to be is really the start of a conversation. I want you to see God's hand in your life. I want you to see what God has to say when he sees you in depression and anxiety. I want you to see God's heart for, for when he sees his children who are struggling through depression and anxiety because where I want to go today, the story that I want to tell you is of a man in scripture, one of my favorite stories in scripture. He was an individual who suffered with depression. He suffered with anxiety, he suffered with fear, filled with fear, scared out of his mind. In fact, it was so bad for him that all of those feelings led to what the pinnacle of depression really is, which is suicide, I just wanna leave. I can't handle that anymore, and he was suicidal. And my hope is today as we open up this story, as we open up this passage of scripture, this thing that happened in history that you'll be able to see, God's heart for depression, and anxiety, and what His hope and His plan is for you, and what He has to say to you. So, wherever you happen to be, open up your Bibles today. Uh, we're going to jump over a little bit all over the place in a few different chapters. But um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to—I uh, don't know if we can put the verses up—but what I want you to do is I want you to mark down First Kings chapter 17 to 19. And Second Kings chapter 1 and 2. Because uh, I'm not going to be able to read all those chapters to you today. Otherwise, we'd basically just be reading Scripture uh, for you today. Instead, what I want to do is encourage you right after the service, take 10 minutes, 15 minutes max, and actually read through a few of those chapters. And what I want you to do is... Read through them, and and you're going to see the power of God working through one individual, going up and down and up and down throughout his entire life, but you'll see God's hand at work and how God responds to us in our weakest and lowest lowest moments. So we're going to jump around throughout these verses, but I want you to take time afterwards, if you're willing, and walk through this passage, because you are going to be so blessed and then you're also going to be able to say, oh, that's what Pastor Reuben was talking about in the story. Today, what I want to talk about is, 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 is about a man by the name of Elijah. So his life was documented to us as a prophet of God. Someone basically who speaks forth God's word to God's people. Tells them, hey, this is what you've got to do. This is what it means to follow God. This is what you need to be doing to follow in God's, you know, Plans. This is what you need to be repenting of. A prophet of God is who Elijah was. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, you can turn your Bibles there. We're introduced to Elijah. This is what it says. He says this in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king at the time, King Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives. Before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And so we can see Elijah was a man sent by God to go speak to this new corrupt king. And we're going to find out how corrupt he really was. But this, this, this corrupt king, King Ahab, to give him this harsh word or this harsh message. That there wasn't going to be any more rain or dew or basically just like no, you know, rain from the sky and clouds and all that kind of stuff on their land, except by God's word. Why was that important? Why was that significant? Because to us, that kind of like, you know, but, like, what does that have to do with the story of Elijah? Well, I'm gonna tell you two major things. One, you have to understand historically You know, when we look at the Jewish people, because they're obviously the lineage from which God chose to bless and to set apart to send the Messiah, and we have to go back to their history and understand how God was working through this chosen people, right? During their time, when they reigned in the area of where, you know, in Israel specifically, you have to understand what rain and dew was to them. See, rain and dew were necessary for life. For growth of produce, for vegetation, for the fertility of the land. As rain came down and and fell across the land, it would basically uh, help the soil be richer. That basically, you know, they'd be able to live off their produce. You know, Back then, we're talking about thousands of years ago, they weren't blessed like us, where we can go to the local superstore and pick up some peaches from Mexico. Ain't gonna happen like that back then. They gotta go to what they have around them. And so in their mind, like put yourself in their position, they are like, we have to grow the things around us to be able to live off of it, because if we don't, we will die. Or they'll have to move, which they didn't really want to do. So that was a huge reason why rain and dew was important to them. But specifically sorry, but specifically to Ahab and Jezebel, who is Ahab's wife, who was also in on this with Ahab, the main reason why this was important was because Israel was being led astray. Israel was being led astray to worship other gods, and they were forsaking Yahweh, the God of the Bible. You see, Ahab and his wife predominantly, actually were making major efforts to change Israel's culture of who they worshipped. And so what they did was they pushed their agenda to lead the people to start worshipping Baal, which is this other pagan god that's been around for thousands of years. And this is significant because historically, get this, Baal was the false god or the pagan god of what? Rain, dew, and fertility. And so, obviously, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who would have been supporting Baal in their mind, they're thinking, well, we, this is what we want. We want rain, we want dew, we want our land to be rich with their mindset of this is what's going to help our rain, this is what's going to get us rich, this is what's going to you know, increase our status, this is what's going to lead us to prosperity. Let us worship the rain God, the fertility God, to help us enrich the land so that we can benefit from it. Forget Yahweh, let's worship Baal, the pagan God so that's what they were leading the entire nation of Israel to do because Ahab was the king of Israel and Jezebel was there to help him do that and so they led so many people and many Israelites followed them in worshiping Baal and so here's the thing when Elijah comes onto the scene and says hey listen God says no more rain for you bro Obviously, Ahab and Jezebel are pissed. They're like, we're trying to do something here. We're trying to create, you know, our way of life. And you're going to come in and spoil my stuff? Like, come on, man. They didn't like it. But how many of y'all know when God says something, that's what's about to happen? See, that's exactly what happens. Because Elijah says this, and then by God's command, leaves and goes into hiding. And for three something years, there is no rain in the entire region, no dew water starts to evaporate and kind of, you know, go away. Basically, they can't even get proper water from wells and all the things like that because it's just drying up everywhere. And Elijah is in hiding by God's command specifically, but mainly because it's most likely that Ahab and Jezebel had a hit out on Elijah. They're like, yo, this man came up and gave us some word from God. Like, you know, they they didn't even care. And so they've been looking for this guy. So Elijah was in hiding. And as you kind of see this story unfold across, you know, 1 Kings 17, chapter 18, uh, chapter 19, you see how in this story, Ahab and Jezebel don't even fear God. Like God just stopped the rain by one man's obedience, Elijah's, literally for years. Like after the first year, you couldn't think, huh, you know what, maybe this is not a coincidence. After the second year, like, come on, you don't think like maybe this is a coincidence too? Like, no, no, no. Three years, and they're still looking. They're still unhappy with what has happened. They are so bold. They're like, we'll still capture Elijah and give us a chance. Despite the obvious that Elijah did something, and the weather stopped. In the meantime, Ahab and Jezebel, unhappy. Obviously, I can only assume that this was out of a rage towards God what they started to do was they started to kill the good prophets that were left in Israel I'm just assuming it's it's rage towards God but that's what they started to do Started to kill off the good prophets in the temple there was one good prophet left Obadiah and he there were a few others as well who Obadiah basically went and he took and he hid a lot of these other good prophets that way that way you know Ahab and Jezebel wouldn't get their hands on them as well And Ahab and Jezebel filled the temples with these false prophets ready to lead people to worship the false gods, the pagan gods of Baal and everybody else that was culturally a god during that time. And that's important to our story to come back to later. And so what you have right now is Israel, led by a corrupt king, filled with false prophets. And so after some years, Elijah's prompted by God, hey, listen, go back and by God's command he goes, he makes himself known to display God's power to clean out the false prophets who, who have been defaming God's name in his kingdom, which is Israel. And so jumping over this crazy story because we can't get into all the nitty-gritty details to get to the point that I really want to get to today. The false prophets basically have this competition with Elijah to see whose God is greater. And Elijah obviously wins. The false prophets, you know, 850-something of them are cutting themselves, bleeding, doing some nasty things. You guys want to read the story. It's crazy. Nothing happens. Actually, it's kind of jokes because Elijah starts making fun of them. He's just like, oh, scream a little louder. It's just like he's just joking around. That's why I love the Bible. They need to make a movie on that. Anyhow, Elijah then. Pours water. He's just like, fire comes down from heaven, lights up. If you ever try to start fire in the rain, you'll know how hard this is. But that's the beauty and the power of God. And then Elijah takes a moment. He's just like, all of you guys are false prophets. Slaughters them. It's It's like this monumental moment for Elijah who is like, righteousness is being brought back. The evil are leaving. God is having his reign. And so you can imagine here, a dismayed Ahab and an ecstatic Elijah who's like, yeah, God, let's do it. Can you imagine the armies was like one man, Elijah, old, you know, prophet? Almost like a thousand false prophets. Like I can't even imagine that like picture. It's kind of like that scene, The Lord of the Rings, when you have Gandalf, but then you have like the armies, right? It's just like, no oh, way, you're going to win. And then they win, but anyhow, uh, sidetrack. Getting back to the point. Elijah does this amazing miracle backed up by God. He's on a high like unlike before. Probably one of the most amazing miracles that has ever happened in his lifetime maybe throughout the entire era. But this is when everything goes downhill for Elijah because Ahab, King Ahab, he goes and he tells his wife what happened and his wife Jezebel gets to uh, gets a message to Elijah. And basically, it's a threat. It's like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. And you would think that Elijah, after being on this crazy, like, high mountain experience moment where he literally called fire down from heaven. God was just like, I got you. I can't even imagine what that was like. And you're thinking, man, Jezebel's the wife of King Ahab. Like, she's not even the one in power. Like, you know, you just took care of like a thousand pro- false prophets, you know. Come on, Elijah, this is not going to bother him. This is an anecdote in the story, right? No. Oh, it's the total opposite. Actually, what happens is, Elijah runs away scared. This is what the scripture says. 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse two. Then Jezebel. Sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if you do, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Talking about the false prophets whom he killed. Basically saying, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. Verse 3, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, another place, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah was so scared and anxious of what Jezebel was going to do to him that he ran away. And this led him to what I'm only assuming throughout the story. At some point in his journey, he started to have depressive thoughts. Eventually, which led to the, the pinnacle of what depression is, suicidal thoughts where he literally says to God, God, just take my life. I'm done. Begging God to end his life for him. I know some of you can relate. More than you would like to admit, more than I would like to admit, because I know I certainly can relate as well. And so here's where we get to the point of the question. When we have to ask this question in our lives today, what do we do? When we get to this place of depression and anxiety and fear and nervousness, what do we do? How do we bounce back? When you are gripped by this feeling, this mental thing, this emotional thing that seems like it's taking over your entire life, what do we do? And another question, what does God do for us in those times? Two major things we have to ask. We have to think about what do we do and what does God do for us? What is God's voice and thoughts and heart and action when we are in those place as his children? Well, the first thing that I'm going to share that every single one of us have to do is something that Elijah did not do well. First thing that we've got to do is we've got to become more self-aware. We have to learn to recognize when we are acting out of an emotional mental illness and just reacting to things, reacting to things in our life. See, some things that we naturally do and we, and, we, and we have to go back to be able to see that it's coming out of this emotional place and not out of the truth. We say certain things, we, we think certain ways. Let me give you a few examples. One, we play the blame game, don't we? When we don't like the situation, what do we do? We play the blame game. We say, but God, if they, but God, if you, but if God, if they, only, if only, if only, if only. Don't we do that? I would, but God, you know the situation, right? We play the blame game. Another thing we do is we isolate ourselves. We run away. We don't want anybody else around us, whatever the situation may be. We don't want other people involved in our mess, whether it's like, I just don't want people to know. I don't like to be corrected. I don't need to get fixed, although I think I do, but I don't really want to get fixed. Or maybe just like, you know what? I'm scared of what other people are gonna think of me. Whatever the situation, whatever the reason you give yourself, we give ourselves these reasons, then all of a sudden, whenever we're feeling those things, we run away. We isolate ourselves. That's exactly what Elijah did. He, Elijah could have gone to somebody's house to care for him, by the way. Man didn't have to go underneath the broom tree, but he went underneath the broom tree because he's isolating himself. He didn't like his situation. This is a tell sign of what he's feeling. It's, it's, It's a mental awareness thing for him to be able to realize, you know what? I'm feeling some type of way and this is not okay. I need to do something about it, but he doesn't have that check. We need to. Another thing that we do, we forget God's faithfulness in the past, don't we? So easily we forget God's faithfulness in the past. We focus so much on the unanswered prayers rather than the one God has answered. I know that's true, because I do that too. We're so, as humankind, we're so, sometimes I feel like, you guys ever watch Finding Nemo? Sometimes I feel like we're we're like Dory with God. We forget so easily when God has done so much in the past. Take Elijah's story. I think God specifically made sure the story was in Scripture so we could hear specifically this account. Because Elijah was at the top of doing amazing things of glory, of just like, you know, honoring God. And God was just like, I'm using you, Elijah, let's go. And that's when the fall happened. That's when depression and anxiety creeped in. He so easily forgot what God had just done for him. And he let, whatever it was, whether his eyes got fixed on something else, whether he was distracted for a moment, whatever it may have been, his focus was switched and immediately he was overwhelmed with all of these feelings. The last thing that I've seen, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but the last thing that I've noticed that we do that I'm gonna to share today specifically, is we play the woe is me card, don't we? The woe is me is just like, oh, but nobody else has ever felt what I felt, nobody else has ever done what I've, nobody else has ever had to go through, ever nobody else has ever had to walk in my own shoes. Nobody else, nobody else, nobody else. But we can't play the woe is me card. It, it, the truth is that other people have experienced to some level, to some extent. And whenever we play the woe is me card, it's detrimental. It's exactly what Elijah does later on. He's just like, but God, I'm the only good prophet. Uh, in the story earlier, did you forget about Obadiah? Did you forget about the tons that he hid in the caves? They were called good prophets. They were called good people. And yet Elijah's like, I'm the only one. It's just like, bro, when you go woe is me and you just start playing blame game, you are setting yourself up for failure. And the worst part is all of these things, along with many other things, just for the sake of time, I'm not gonna be able to mention it. It leads us to this awful place that depression and anxiety get us, which is to suicide. Which is to, I just, it's better to leave. We think absence is better. Because we're like, I am struggling to face what I have in front of me and I don't know how to move forward. Church, becoming more self-aware means learning to recognize the moment you start thinking this way, the moment you start thinking this way, you've got to recognize, I have to start fixing my eyes on Jesus. My eyes have been wavered. I'm, started, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at other things. I'm focusing on other things. I'm valuing other things. I need to know what's true because Jesus does care about me, but these feelings won't make me feel that way. What it means, being aware, it means going to trusted people in your life who will have healthy input for you, who do care about you and what you're going through. What it means is not letting shame control you, but being bold and saying, you know what, I need a professional counselor. For, 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 for long enough has, has shame been put over the, the need for professional counseling and the, and the importance of pastoral counseling. We need to recognize that we're all broken people. And that God is working on all of us, and that is okay. Y'all listening? I hope so. What becoming more self-aware looks like is realizing, you know what? I need to remember the things God is faithful throughout. So that way hope is not deferred, but I'm holding on to the things that God has done. I remember when he answered that prayer, when he was with me, when he was walking through me where he did not let me go. And then realizing that, you know what, all that you're walking through, you know what, it might be super hard. Even this, it might not be common. You're right, what you're going through is uncommon. It's not a thing that everybody faces. It might be unique to you and maybe a few other individuals. Because it doesn't have to be specifically common for everyone. It could just be a few other people have experienced what you're going through, but don't miss this. That God can still walk you through it. Even if nobody else has ever experienced it, God can still walk you through it. There's nothing that He can't do. And so don't let that be the lie that you buy onto. The lie that you allow Satan to sell you to be able to be like, that's it, I'm screwed, no. There's nothing too great for God to be able to do in your life. And so don't let Satan win in those moments. A few things that you've also got to admit and just kind of free yourself with truth. Looking at Elijah's story is this. Number one, anyone can face depression or anxiety. When Elijah was at like the top of his game doing amazing things for God, and yet immediately after he was hit with depression and anxiety. What that tells me is that just because you might be facing it or, or, or struggling with it doesn't mean that you're less of a person than anyone else. It means you're normal, struggling with normal things that everybody can, anybody can face. But what that also tells me, number two, that the enemy loves to attack you when you are serving God at the glorious moment of your life. See, Elijah was serving God unlike before and that's when the enemy takes a shot. That's when the enemy seeps in. That's when the enemy sells you a lie to hold on to as if it is from God. And so what you have to do is you have to keep watch. You have to be on guard. Don't let anything pass your sight just kind of like under the carpet. You have to be on guard and you'd be guarding your heart. Because especially for those of you in the room right now who serve God, let me tell you here right now. Every single week when you come to serve on a Sunday and for those of you who help us through the live stream, Satan will attack you because you are serving God Almighty when you serve him. You are in fact representing the one thing that he hates. And so when you serve him, be on guard. Protect your time, protect your heart, protect your mind because you know the enemy will try and seep in and do whatever he can to wave you off the path that God is calling you to. Number three, a lot of the times depression and anxiety is not based on, on what's true. I mean, truthfully, Elijah had no reason to be depressed and anxious in this specific situation because Jezebel had been chasing him. For many years, Jezebel's opinion was known. They all knew Jezebel wanted the life of Elijah. He was like the head of all the good prophets. It wasn't new information. Sometimes what leads us to depression, and anxiety, is actually based in utter lies. And we have to figure out what is true. We have to go to God for him to speak truth to us. Go to the word, go to scripture. And allow it to just breathe the truth over us. Spend time with the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to my life. Speak truth over me so that I don't let my thoughts just get to this awful, violent, and wicked place where I am just hating on myself constantly. Number four, the smallest of things can trigger this. Because all it was was a little messenger sent to Elijah, right? A little message to Elijah. I'm going to kill you. It's probably not new. And yet it was just this one little small message. Listen, the smallest of things can trigger anxiety and depression. Can trigger relapses. If if you're like, you know, that's something that I've actually worked through. And the smallest of things can trigger relapses. So don't take anything for granted. Or don't take anything lightly. You know, when it comes to emotional health, start realizing and start recognizing That you need to be on guard. Who are the people that you spend time with? The kind of job that you have. The amount of time that you spend on your physical health, exercising or doing those types of things. The sleep that you get. The diet that you have. Your spiritual life of spending time with God or the time that you don't spend. All of those things, church, play a role. And sometimes we we, come to this place where we take those things for granted think that time doesn't, you know, play a role and our diet doesn't play a role and our spiritual life doesn't play a role. But all of those things play such important roles. And a huge part to learning how to walk through depression and anxiety and dealing with it in a healthy way is learning how to create a healthy routine, healthy rhythms in your life that will not only keep you accountable, but supported and focused. But what I want to do for the last little bit is I want you to notice God's heart for you in those moments when you're feeling down. I want you to notice what God does for Elijah. See, God sends an angel to Elijah to minister to him, to help him. He sends Elijah physically, like food, to give him energy so that he can finish off his journey that, uh, that he had in front of him. And then lastly, he tells him to get up and he gives him a mission to go on, to focus on the task rather than focus on the past. And Elijah, for the sake of time, which I just can't get into for the sake, uh, uh, he tries to play the blame game, he tries to play the "always me card, he tries to play the, you know, where are you now, God, that I need you, like Justin Bieber, like he tries to play that card with God constantly over and over again. Doesn't work with God. What well, God does, he sends him on a mission. And here's what I want you to see. This next mission that Elijah goes on is in fact, The greatest work that Elijah does in his life. Naming his successor, Elisha. Who was gifted, get this, a double portion. A double anointing, a double blessing that Elijah had. Can you imagine one person having that much anointing from God? Can you imagine not having the story of Elisha and the power of what was done through Elisha and all the things that are done that we don't even know about through Elisha. If Elijah had committed suicide, if Elijah had said, you know what, God just kill me, and God would be like, all right. You know what I see in this story? I see that God knew Elijah's best was still yet to come. God knew his best was still yet to come, in fact, God knew this. Guys, don't miss this. God knew that the one who was begging him, take my life, take my life, is the one who also would never see death. Do you realize that Elijah actually didn't die? That the story, as you finish it, and I hope you read it, 2 Kings chapter 1 and 2, he is taken up in a storm, in a whirlwind, scripture says. Only one other person in all of history doesn't have a physical death, and that's Enoch. Can you imagine begging God for death? Just kill me, God, I'm done with my life. And yet, God, the entire time, no, he's like, Elijah, you're not actually ever going to die. All of that, I say, to say this, even though you might be going through depression, you might be going through anxiety, you need to realize God hasn't given up on you. Your best is still yet to come. God knew that about Elijah, and he knows that about you, and I'm preaching passionately because someone needs to know this, that just because you feel like your life is limited, just because you feel like your life is restricted, that is your sight and you have no idea what God can do with one obedient person. He will change the world. You need to know that God cares for you through your highs and through your lows. Despite your most heart aching moments, He cares for you. My encouragement to you is just walk with Him, stay with Him, don't fight Him, don't reject Him. No matter how it feels, don't let your feelings guide you. Instead, let God work on you. Even in those moments where you're like, I don't even think I'm worth working on anymore. The last thought I will share with you is this, and I didn't know if I was going to get there or not. Uh, do I have time for it? What time is it? I'm a little over time, it's okay, might as well go with it. <laughs> Uh, the last thought was last week's sermon was on the Good Shepherd. And we saw three major th- the themes. How God is this amazing Good Shepherd, this, this caring leader who will support us in these three unique ways. Number one, he, he gives us his presence. Number two, that he would sustain us through whatever we're going through. And number three, he gives us a mission to focus our lives about. I found it so astounding as I was writing, uh, writing today's sermon, walking through the story of Elijah, that this is the exact theme that I see here that God is the good shepherd, not only for David many years before Elijah, but even for Elijah. That God will sustain you, that God will give you his presence. And that God gives you a mission is what you need to hold on to, church. Because this is what I believe. That when God sees you, he believes your best is still yet to come. Can I get an amen? Amen. Wherever you happen to be, whatever your situation in life may be, you have no idea what God wants to do with the rest of your life. Would you today, and this is my encouragement, last encouragement that I have for you, will you press in to what God has for you? Instead of fighting God, press in to God. Allow him to do his work in your life and see how he changes the world just like he did through a simple man like Elijah. God wants to use you, he does. And I believe the stories in scripture for us to understand and to see how God moves and how he values us and what we ought to do when we are in these awful places, when we feel terrible. God hasn't given up on you. And I believe that your best is still yet to come. Will you press in and allow him to use you as you find your mission and your purpose in him? That's my prayer for you this week. Jesus, I ask that as we close up today, Father, for every heart that has been weighed with anxiety, for every heart that has been weighed with depression, Jesus, I pray right now that they would feel your tranquility Holy Spirit, that they will recognize your presence is with them. That they will realize that they are not alone. Jesus, you are there. No matter how far they are from you, no matter how defeated they feel, no matter how useless they may think they are, Jesus, you created them. You know their worth and value way more than any of us would. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would communicate this to them. That you would show them through your words, through your church, how valued each and every single one of them are. But I want to pray, Holy Spirit, for a miracle today. I want to pray that you would break the bondage of anxiety and depression that are on some people who are watching here today, who are willing to allow you to work in their lives. Jesus, for every heart that is willing, ready to receive you, ready to allow you to work so that they are not controlled by anxiety and depression anymore. Jesus, may you have your way. Holy Spirit, go and transform. Holy Spirit, go and break the old so that you may form the new self. Holy Spirit, I pray that you, would go and be the comforter that they need. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak the truth that they need to hear. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would start sanctifying them, leading them to purer thoughts, leading them away from things that are distractions, that lead them only to vile thoughts that are gonna lead them away from you, God. Would you lead them closer and closer to your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, have a great week. Uh, Reminder, real quick, for those of you who are still online, uh, we have the Scott mission uh, fundraiser that we are doing. Uh, We're going to be handing it in next week. So this is your last week to hand in baby food, baby diapers. I want to get in as much as possible so we can go and deliver this stuff. So please, reminder, message your friends, message those who are also in the church. If they would like to support, get it in this week. Let's get it done uh, and support those who are in need as well. Have a great week, fam. We'll see you next week.